And in, in as few words as possible, that is the message of Christmas, is it not? God's expression of his love for you. It's the message that we need to share with people at Christmas, with our speech, with our spending, with ourselves. So important that we, we, that we show people what Christmas is about. Uh, well, a very good morning again. Um, so we've, we're pausing our study through Hebrews, um, a, a great point, aren't we? Last week, uh, we, uh, we talked about future faith uh, and what it is and, and how we live in future faith. And uh, we said that the ultimate touching point in the past for our future faith was Advent. Uh, and that was the point where we saw... Uh, conclusively and, and beyond all doubt that God will fulfill uh, all of his, prom- his future promises uh, to us. And the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose is, and ascended uh, is the, the, the ultimate guarantee for you and for me uh, that he's true to his word. He said it was going to happen and then it happened. So we know that he's true to his word. Uh, again, it's the ultimate touching point for our future faith, uh, the advent of Jesus. So when we consider that Christmas is, that's what Christmas is, this ultimate touching point for our future faith, the fact that God is true uh, and right to his word, it makes us love Christmas just a little bit more, doesn't it? Don't we love Christmas? Wow. Like this half loves Christmas, and this half is kind of like, you can't make me love Christmas. (laughs) Maybe... A bit grinchy, but that's all right. Um, so <laughs> we know we know that he did come, didn't we? We're, we're not. We know that he was born. Uh, we're not here to lay out an uh, an apologetic historical case for the fact that this guy uh, was born in Bethlehem around these dates. Uh, but if you've never read anything like that, if you if you've never uh, had the case made for you, then uh, come and borrow a book from me. Um, so we're not here to lay out a case for the, for the evidence that he, he was born, but uh, we're here to think bigger picture. What is Christmas all about and what does it, what does it mean? Um, really, really simply, what brought Jesus to our world? Why? Why did he come? Again, we've, we've established the fact that he did. Uh, we're not here to make a case for the fact that he did. We know that he did, uh, but if we can establish the, the why, then Christmas has a, just a richer fuller meaning, doesn't it, if we know why. And it's the same way that everybody loves to receive a gift, don't you? I'm guessing that everybody on this side does love to receive gifts, and this side really doesn't care whether anybody buys you a gift or not anyway. But uh, people love to receive gifts, but you, you love it even more, or you guys do for sure, you guys love it even more if somebody puts it in your hand and tells you why. Now, don't get me wrong, if somebody's going to come to church and give me a coffee and just say, look, I bought you this, I'm going to love that gift. But if somebody comes in and gives you a gift and, look, I bought you this because uh, I love you or I love you. Uh, I said that one. Uh, <laughs> why else do you buy gifts? Uh, I love you. No, I said it again. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> giving the game away. I bought you this gift uh, because you are just the most reliable person in church. So I bought you a gift to say thank you. Or you did this, I saw you do something for somebody, I just thought, wow, I want to buy you a gift. Or I saw that you needed this in your life, so I've just gone ahead and bought it for you. I've given this to you. I'm going to give you a gift because. So we can establish why 
Jesus came in the first place. We just, it's just richer and it's fuller and it just helps us to appreciate the gift even more. So, this morning then, we don't have one particular sermon text. Uh, you're going to need some nimble fingers if you're in a paper Bible. If you're on your phone or your iPad and you're on the Bible app, then uh, this is all there for you. But think of the workout your fingers could be getting if you're bringing a paper Bible to church. So why did Jesus come? The first thing we're going to read before we really get into it uh, is in Philippians chapter 2, probably about 80% of the way through your Bibles. So if you've got a paper one, turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2. And we're thinking, what brought Jesus to the world? We'll read Philippians 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So why would he do that? Well, notice with me verses 4 and 5. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that speaks of how we're to view and value each other and other people. And then in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. So be, the, be those people that, that look to and value other people. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's the same mind, it's the same values, it's the same attitude that he had. And then verses 6, 7, 8, we get this demonstration of, of how he lived out this mind. We read there the mind then that we have in Christ, the interests of others, the humility that he showed, the sacrificial death. Why? Why, why, why did he do this? Well, the root cause of it, the, the, the bottom line, uh, every conceivable answer, why did he do this? Uh, we, everything could be traced back to or drawn into, I'm going to suggest to you, uh, it's going to come to one thing, and it's going to come down to love. It's going to come down to the love of God for you. And uh, Charles Ryrie said that love is that which seeks the good will of God for the object loved. So when you love something or somebody, you seek God's will for them. So think about your kids, think about your nieces, think about your nephews, uh, your grandkids, kids of your friends. Uh, don't you want what is best for them? Again, I'm probably this half do, uh, maybe. But th think about children in your life. Don't you want, you do, you want what is best for them. And you know, you know deep down what is best for them is for them to live in the very, very center of God's will for their lives. We might have ideas for our children. We might have plans for our children. It's going to be the best doctor this world has ever seen. Things like that. We want them to do certain things, don't we, that we think would be good for them. But we know, again, we know deep down that the Lord knows what is best for our children. Amen? 
We can agree on that one regardless of where we're sitting. Uh, So if we love them, if we love these children, we want God's will for them, don't we? Because that's the best place for them to be. And we know that that God is all-knowing, He's all-loving, He's all-wise. So His will uh, for us, for them, is what is going to be best. So to love someone is to seek God's will for them and to behave and to act as such. Not just say it, but to do something about it. You love someone, you want them to know Jesus, what do you do? You live your life around them as if he is a real person. You don't take the Bible and follow them around and read passages to them out of context because they just sound quite cool. You don't use it as a, as a tool to bash somebody with. You live your life as if he is a real person because he, he is a, a real person, isn't he? He's not, it's not just some abstract idea, some life that we, uh, we're, we're trying to work towards or a set of principles or morals that we're trying to attain. He wasn't just some guy that lived and died and left behind a manual for living that we're trying our best to follow. You live as if he is a real person that you have a relationship with. You act on what you think and feel, don't you? If you, you, you love somebody, you want God's will for them. God's will for them is to, to, to know Jesus, to be saved from their sins. So you behave as such as if that is real in your life. Uh, turn with me back a few books uh, to John, the fourth book in the New Testament. We'll go to John uh, chapter 3 as the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you. John chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 16. This is how God loved the world. This is how God showed us he loves the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God's motivation towards you is love. He loves you and he has taken action to prove that he loves you. It's not limited to, uh, to a few people or one particular group of people, uh, but his gift, his demonstration of love is for the whole world. Look at those verses again. God so loved the world in its entirety, uh, that whoever believes in him, not just a particular kind of person, a particular group of people, uh, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, it's not just a particular group of people. God's motivation towards you, whoever you are, wherever you're from, uh, is love. So. God's love expressed in the giving of his most priceless gift. And that is, he, we're seeking God's will for somebody. It's, it's that we come to know and love and trust and put hope and faith in Jesus. So Christmas then, why, why did Jesus come? What's it all about? Well, we said that Christmas is really about love isn't it? Christmas is about the express, God's expression of his love for you. Amen? Good. We're together so far. So let me show you some pictures. Uh, these are fairly 
common uh, Christmas scenes, we could say that they're all about love. Um, there's a child there, a parents lovingly bought them a Christmas jumper, a lovely thing to do. Uh, there's a lady there, she's wrapping gifts, probably for somebody that she loves. There's a group of guys there, that, you know, they, they probably love spending time. They, they, you could make a case that all of these pictures, all of these things represent love at Christmas. But every year Christmas is celebrated and love could be at the center of this and love might even be at the center of your Christmas. Uh, But, 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 is it the love of God for you that is central at Christmas, and it might it might sound like we're, we're splitting hairs, you know, we're we're uh, we're making really fine distinctions, and you know, I'm I'm not really into that hallmark kind of Christmas. So uh, what's the problem? But if 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 this is the center of your Christmas, God's expressed love for you, then everything else around your Christmas time and just your life is going to be so much more colorful, so much more beautiful, and it's going to be so much more abundant. So, because of this, because of what Christmas is about, the expression of God's love for you, what do we do with it then? Because it's really easy for me to stand here and, uh, and read some passages and say, look, Christmas is about love, God's love for you now. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. What do we, but we're not leaving with anything to do, are we? So, what is our duty as Christians at Christmas? So, first thing is your speech. Is part of your duty as a Christian at Christmas. George Whitefield said, he's talking about Christmas time in particular, and he said, let your speech not be about your dressing, your plays, your profits, your worldly concerns. So. Christmas, really, really simply, at Christmas time, what are you talking about? What are you talking about at Christmas? Is it all the stuff that you're going to get? Is it about all the food that you're going to overeat? Is it about all the diets that you're going to start on the 26th and then finish on the 27th because you've overeaten on the 25th? Uh, having come to church on the 24th and had a great time with the cow service. So what, really simply, what are you talking about at Christmas? Is it going out to as many Christmas parties as possible and being the talk of the town, which here is quite easy because it's a small place? Are you going to go to all these Christmas parties and be that party person? And so really, really simply, what are, you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about at Christmas? Because we give ourselves away, don't we? We show who we are by what we say and how we say it. Uh, There was an old fable, uh, an old story told about a donkey who found a lion's skin. You've got to go with me because we know that lions don't shed their skins, but for the purpose of the story, then they do. Uh, So this donkey found a lion's skin, put it on, and was kind of strutting around town as such, pretending to be a lion. Uh, And lots of animals were scared. And then he came across a fox who uh, is a cleverer than their average animal, apparently. Uh, and the fox wasn't scared of this donkey pretending to be a lion because he heard the donkey's voice. And the fox said, if you want to scare me, 
you will have to disguise your voice. And the moral of the story is that clothes can disguise, clothes can, <laughs> clothes can trick a fool, but your words are going to give you away. What you say and how you say it, your speech is so important. What are you talking about at Christmas time? So instead then of spending all our time talking about the trappings of the season, where you're going to buy your turkey from, do we even need to buy a turkey because we don't eat it 364 days a year, but you know, we need to get a turkey because it's Christmas. Where are we going to get the presents from? How many presents have you bought this child? Have you bought this child enough? But he's got a big present, or he's got two small presents. Is that all right? We, all this stuff that we talk about at Christmas, now we know that Christmas is the ultimate expression of God's love for you. What are we talking about at Christmas? Is, are we talking about that? Or are we talking about the stuff? So instead then, what do we talk about? We'll share a, share a testimony with someone of what the Lord has done in your life. Um, your speech is so important. Speak the truth at Christmas. Talk about Christmas, what it actually is. And it's just, it's just so important for us to be speaking the truth. So share a testimony with someone. Share a word of prophecy with somebody. Now go with me here because we're not going weird. We're going biblical, so stay with me. Share a word of prophecy with somebody. If you've got your Bibles open, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've been in John, so we're a few books further forward. Uh, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Near the end of the book, let's go 1 Corinthians 14. Now let's be really clear. This is not about trying to be an Old Testament prophet. Because you're not, and I'm not, and there are not. Old Testament predictive prophecy, thus says the Lord, in six months this is going to happen. That's not a thing. The Old Testament prophecy prophesied, predicted the coming of the Messiah, and he came. So we're not going weird where we need to go out and start making weird and wacky and heretical predictions, because that's done. New Testament prophecy the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So you can do that. And you should. You should do that. See, the context of this verse is being with others. The context of this verse is, 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 is this, is getting together with other believers. So be with people at Christmas time. Don't be a billionaire, mates. Be with people and speak to them like this. Speak to people in love. Be a New Testament prophet. Somebody who is not weird and wacky, but who loves other people. Who tells them the word of God. Who speaks the word of God into their life. Who loves other people. Who builds other people up. Who encourages people. Who consoles them. Speak a word of prophecy into somebody's life. Christmas time. And again, then, because Christmas is about the expression of God's love for you, take that into your life, understand that, and then build someone up with that as your foundation. Take that into your life and then encourage somebody. And if they're feeling a bit down, console them with the Word of God. Build somebody up then. Encourage somebody. If they're suffering, console them. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all... We've all <sighs> had difficult things happen in our life and then that person comes along and maybe they don't have a 
a 10-minute monologue for you. Maybe they've just got a word or two. Maybe they were reading something in, in, the, in the Word this week that they just want to share with you, the sharing God's Word with you into their life. And you feel much more positive. You feel encouraged. You feel built up. You are consoled. So Christmas then, our speech, so important. Speak the Word of God into people's lives at Christmas. Uh, console them, encourage them, and build them up. And your speech is so important at Christmas. So, first thing then is our speech. That was one of our duties as a Christian at Christmas. Second then is our spending. First speech, then spending. And we can look at this from a couple of different angles. First, your physical and your material spendings. Spend on Him. Things that he delights in, on his, his, things that fall into his will and his ways. Use your material blessings to bless. Jesus taught so much about money. About half of his parables are talking about how to handle your money and your stuff. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one in every ten verses talks about money. So it's really, really important as believers that we handle our money and our material blessings very, very well. So Christmas, what are you talking about? And what are you spending your money on? Is it yourself or is it others? Really simple. Are you spending money on yourself? Are you spending money on others? So spend it well, physically and materially, but also spend time. Spend time with Jesus, it's Christmas is about Jesus, is it not? Without Jesus, Christmas is not really a, a, a thing, is it? It, it, it? it wouldn't be a thing. It's about him. So spend time with him at Christmas. And maybe you've heard this story before. I've probably told it before, and I'll probably tell it next year as well. But uh, there are about two, uh, two young ladies. One had just had a baby, and uh, they've gone out for lunch to celebrate the birth of this new boy, and they see a third friend out for lunch. The third friend comes over and says, what are you doing? Why are you out for lunch? And the first lady says, well, we're out celebrating the birth of my new baby son. You know, cheers. And then the third lady says, well, where is he? And the first one says, well, why would I bring him with me? You don't think I'd bring him with me? I don't need him with me to celebrate his birth. And that's exactly the same at Christmas, isn't it? We give lip service to Christmas is about Jesus. We're going to celebrate Jesus. But we don't invite him to our celebrations. We don't center our celebrations around him. We talk about him, and then we do our own thing. And it's not really about him, then, is it? We talk about him, but he's not there. So spend, spend your material stuff well, but spend time with him as well. So with your speech, what are you talking about? And with your spending, what are you doing? What are you doing at Christmas? Are you spending time with people and at places because of the underlying cause of Christ's love for you, which caused him to come in the first place? Or are you spending time with people and at places because at the bottom of it is some worldly pleasure for you? Now, don't get me wrong, it's, 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 it's all right to enjoy Christmas. Um, we don't need to go around looking super serious all the time and kind of bashing everybody's non-Christian Christmas. Uh, hopefully, 
those of you that came carol singing on, on earlier this week, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that and hopefully your face communicated that to the people around you, that you're enjoying singing these carols. But first and foremost, we enjoyed it, don't we? Because we're out there, we're in public, and we're singing about Christmas. We're singing about Jesus. And all those people that followed us around and wanted to talk to you and take pictures with you, they're hearing what Christmas is really about. So hopefully you enjoyed it, yes, and your face let people know that you enjoy it. But we're, we enjoy it first and foremost because we're there singing about Jesus, aren't we? And if we love him, as we, as we should, our time and our resources are spent according to his words, according to his will, according to his ways. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, let's go forward a few more books to 1 John. We'll go to 1 John chapter 3. Books further forward. So we're in 1 John chapter 3, and we'll pick it up again in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And he had to be here to lay down that life, didn't he? It's just a very logical thing to think. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So yes, so speech, yes, your speech is so important at Christmas, but it's not only your speech. Do, do something. Do something uh, with it. Do something about it. Demonstrate your love for him and for others with your spending, your money, your time, yourself. And then I think about a Jesus love. Uh, it gives and loves because it, it wants to. It doesn't demand or expect repayment for the love given. Uh, this is not an exchange. This is not transactional. You love him and he'll do some stuff for you. That's a really dangerous way of thinking. Let's love somebody so what we get, based on uh, what we think we might get back from them. It's not, a, it's not a loan. It doesn't love you. But then you've got you to do, he loves you because he loves you. God is going to love you all the days of your life and beyond, despite yourselves. And uh, he loves you so much that he wants to get, he gives you the, the, the chance, he gives you the choice to love him back or not. But his side of the bargain, his side of the deal is held up and it's proven and it's demonstrated and it's actioned and he, he spent himself, didn't he? It wasn't just words. Yes, I've made you in my image. Yes, I love you. It was actioned, it was demonstrated, he did something about it, he spent on it. And real love is not just a feeling, it's not just an inward feeling, it's not how you felt with your, middle, your first kind of middle school boyfriend, girlfriend, like who's that girl that's hanging around with you? My girlfriend, I love her. And that, you know, that's, it's easy to say that kind of stuff, when you're, but it's not just something that we think we should say, and we, if we feel it inside a little bit, it's, we, we, Love is demonstrated by what we do with and for other people. And we've said the ultimate demonstration was the giving of Jesus to us, for us. 
uh, taking on flesh, dying on the cross, rising bodily and ascending and then coming again. So your speech is really important at Christmas. Your spending is really important at Christmas. And then thirdly, so is yourself. You, you are really important at Christmas. And let's be honest, um, at Christmas, people look at Christians, don't they? At Christmas, people notice you as a Christian. People look to see how Christians celebrate Christmas. So the stuff that you talk about, the stuff that you say, you believe, uh, how, well, show me then, what's, what's, what's Christmas like? How are you going to celebrate Christmas? Is it, uh, is it drunkenly or is it dignified? You know, what's, it, what's the most important thing at Christmas? What's at the center of your celebrations? And let's be, really, let's be real, if people, if, if you claim to be following Jesus, to be living a Christian life, people are going to look as well they should. If you're going to kind of plead the blood of Jesus over your sins, past, present, future, people should be looking at what that does for you. So at Christmas, if you're, if you're claiming to be a Christian, people are going to look, people are going to see, they're going to look at, or they're going to listen to what you talk about, how you talk about it, they're going to look at what you spend your money on, where you spend your time, who you spend your time with, how you interact with people. Christmas, you, you were claiming that it's this massive demonstration of God's love for you. What does that look like in your life? What, do, what, do, what are you doing with that? And they're going to hear your words, they're going to see your spending, and they're going to notice your, yourself. They're, they're, they're going to see you at Christmas. Is there anything different about you? Is there anything different about your Christmas and their Christmas? Because if there's nothing different, they're never going to see the value in the life that you claim to be living. Are you with me? Could somebody come to your house on Christmas Day? Could they come to your house on Christmas Day and see anything different from their own Christmas Day celebration? Could um, uh, a not-yet-believer let's say, it kind of brings everybody into it, a not-yet-believer, could they come to your house on Christmas Day and see something different in how you are celebrating Christmas? Because if it's just the same as your neighbors of a different faith, of no faith, of whatever, if it's the same thing, we've kind of dropped the ball a bit, haven't we, with our speech, with our spending, and ourselves. So you, your speech is important, your spending is important, but you are important at Christmas as well. We live as if this, as if this is real. We've talked about this so much going through Hebrews. Uh, we, we live as if we are loved by the creator of the universe. We live as if Jesus is real, as if we were bought with that tremendously high price. And we live as if we are loved, as if we are loved by God. Amen? So, why did he come? What brought Jesus to our world? Love. Love for you. So we're still in 1 John. Uh, let's look down the page, maybe one page forward in 1 John chapter 4. And we'll read verse 9. Maybe 10 as well. Yeah, 9 and 10. 1 John 4 uh, verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And it's, it's there, isn't it? First John 4, 9, it's right there. We know God loves us because he sent Jesus so that we can live a life through him. Our speech, our spending, ourselves, the whole, the whole thing is to be lived through him. So, did Jesus come into the world at very first advent out of love for you? And we say so little about him at Christmas. Did he come into the world in his first advent and we spend so little on him or spend so little time with him? Did he come into the world that very first advent out of love for you and do we give so little of ourselves to him, to his people? Was he born in human flesh that we pay him so little reverence at Christmas? It's just kind of a name that we talk about at Christmas. Do we spend time with so much and spend money on so much that is so offensive to him at Christmas? Should we rather not do all that we can to promote and to, to, to be a living example or to be a witness of what Christmas is all about? So for us then, uh, let's not give him our second best this season. What, just think, what more could he have done for you? What more could Jesus have done for you? We could think about that all day, and the answer is going to be the same. Nothing. He could have done no more for you. He used his speech. He used his spending of himself and his time. He used all of himself for you out of love. He used all of himself to gift you a new life. Amen? Let me say that again. He used all of himself to gift you a new life. So thinking about Christmas, it is impossible to separate Christmas from God's love for you. That's what should be central. That's what we should be gathering together to celebrate this week. That you are loved that God loves you so much that he displayed it with the perfect gift, something that you didn't even know that you needed. Maybe you've heard this before, or a slightly different version of it, but if our greatest need as people uh, had been information, God would have sent us a teacher. Uh, if our greatest need had been technology, the Messiah would have been a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need as fallen people is forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. He loves you so much and he sent you exactly what you need. And in, in as few words as possible, that is the message of Christmas, is it not? God's expression of his love for you. It's the message that we need to share with people at Christmas, with our speech, with our spending, with ourselves. So important that we, we, that we show people what Christmas is about. So a guy called George Sweeting wrote a book called The No Guilt Guide for Witnessing. And uh, there was a story in there about a man called John Currier, who in 1949 was found guilty of murder, sentenced to life in prison. And later on in his sentence, he was transferred to a 
like a working farm. Like he's still detained, but he's, he's put to work on this farm. And in 1968, his sentence was terminated, and a letter was sent to him with this good news, but he never saw that letter. And nobody told him about that letter. Now, life on the farm was hard for him, future, but yet he kept doing what he was doing and doing what everybody around him was doing because nobody had told him that there was anything different to do. Are you with me? It's really difficult. There's even a life with no hope. Nobody's told him of any alternative. This is just what he thinks life is like now. And he did that for 10 years. And then a state parole officer learned about this, found him, and told him, like, your sentence has been terminated. You're now free. You don't have to live this life anymore. You're free. You can go and live a free man's life. And that story concluded, and it said that we who have heard the good news and experienced the freedom in Christ, we are responsible to proclaim it to others still living a life of no hope with no promise for the future. And when you think about it, Christmas is the perfect time to do that, is it not? With our speech, with our spending, with ourselves. So are we doing all we can to make sure that people around us get the message? Because really, again, we'll close with this. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? God's expression of his love for you and that's the message that we, is our duty as believers to share with our speech and with our spending and with ourselves. Amen? Amen. So let's just take, uh, let's take a moment in, uh, in, in personal prayer. And uh, we'll invite the worship team up. And I want us to think about, are we doing all that we can to make sure people get the message? Is there anything distinctly Christian about your Christmas. So we'll take a moment or so in, uh, in personal prayer, and then I'm going to ask that you join me as we pray.